here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Okay, no wall. How about we have some padded rooms for the liberals? Will they go along with that? You know, for decades, we've had Republican presidents who refuse to fight back against the media and the left and the Democrats. And one of the reasons Donald Trump is hated is because he's broke the mold. He fights back. And you can hear Never Trumpers and former Never Trumpers saying he ought to just be quiet, leave the political playing field to the Democrats, and they'll destroy themselves. Does anybody really believe that? In fact, isn't that what's been happening for too long? Isn't it better that we get behind a guy who really has nothing to gain. He gets elected president of the United States. He's under constant criminal investigation, state investigation, his family members are. He's getting absolutely nothing out of this. Wouldn't it help if we get behind the guy, even if we have some differences in policy with him? Rather than splitting hairs about, well, if he would just be quiet, if he would just not tweet, well, if he just did all those, he'd be Jeb Bush. If he just wasn't so confrontational, he's a counterpuncher. I'm a counterpuncher. Many of you are counterpunchers. What the Never Trumpers and some former Never Trumpers don't understand is this is exactly what we've asked for. Somebody who will fight back. Somebody's going to shake up the system. The left is shaking the system every minute of every day. Every minute of every day. Now we have a president who fights back. And now they say he should disengage and just leave it up to the media and the Democrats to form the debate because they're so stupid, they're so crazy, everybody will see it. No, everybody won't see it. And we didn't lose the midterm elections because of Donald Trump. We lost the midterm elections because the House of Representatives had done almost nothing. Moreover, they didn't have a message. When Steve Scalise was on my Fox show... I asked him, what were the three things the House ran on? He really couldn't say. They didn't really run on anything. Many of them ran scared. And sometimes it's just the cycle. It's the historical cycle that no president can break. Obama, Reagan, it just is what it is. So every problem we have in this country politically or otherwise, doesn't fall at Donald Trump's feet because he fights back, because he tweets. For all we know, he'd be 10 points less in the poll if he didn't fight back. That's not our problem. The problem is that people are trying to take him out and through him reverse the course of the election. You have to be blind not to see this. Now, we are told by the Democrats... We were told by frickin' frack, Sacco and Vansetti, ying and yang, Beavis and Butthead last night, whatever. We were told that uh, this crisis 
on the southern border is a so-called crisis. It's manufactured. It's manufactured. It's manufactured? Is MS-13 manufactured? Is the importation of drugs manufactured? When our federal law enforcement, the Border Patrol, ICE, the DEA, and others tell us what's going on in the southern border and the consequences, are they all lying to us? Are they all lying to us? The people who live closest to the border, who see what's happening in their own communities, who see what's happening with their tax rates, are they all lying to us? A crisis. You know, for the progressives, there's always a crisis. We've had a hundred years of crises. The health care system is in crisis. So we have to eliminate private health care. Now we need Medicare for all, which means Medicare for none. We have a college affordability crisis, don't you know? So what do we need to do? Nationalize student loans. We have a climate crisis. So what do we need to do? Eliminate capitalism and private property rights. We have an inmate crisis in our federal system. What do we need? A first step prison reform program to let prisoners out of our prison. We have a gun crisis. The hell with the Second Amendment. And the Democrats are already talking about we need more gun legislation. We have a gun crisis. So for the left, we always have a crisis. That's why we have a zillion federal departments and agencies, a zillion federal programs, two million federal employees to deal with one crisis after another. And they all require what? Big, centralized, ubiquitous government. More taxes, more debt, more regulations, less individual liberty, smaller private sector. And yet, it's not the government's job to run health care or colleges. It's not the government's job to nationalize air and water. It's not the government's job to destroy the Second Amendment and so forth. It is the government's job to secure the border. Now, I don't know how many more sob stories we're going to hear, and I know I'm going to sound terrible, but I don't care. How many sob stories we're going to hear about federal employees who aren't going to be able to pay their mortgages by members of Congress who represent federal employees? I know this is going to be shocking, but the world doesn't begin and end with Washington, D.C. and the surrounding suburbs. It just doesn't. You know, the nation has gone through some economic problems, tribulations, soft recessions, Difficult housing market. But the Washington, D.C. area mostly is immune from it because of the massive amounts of money that flows into this area from the rest of the country. I think like seven or eight of the wealthiest counties encircle Washington, D.C. Now, I'm not trashing people in Washington, D.C. in the suburbs. There's a lot of good patriots there. Members of the military and retired Members of the CIA, the FBI, and so nothing to do with that. I'm talking about the paper pushers. I just wish there were so many tears for the hardworking men and women who don't necessarily work inside the beltway, 
or in other federal areas. But go to work every day. Drive a truck. Drive a taxi. Go to work every day. Lay bricks. They're electricians. They're plumbers. They're roofers. They're in construction. Go to work every day cutting lawns. Mechanics. People who work in retail sales. People who work at restaurants. I just wish every now and then they were the focus. The men and women who make this country work. And one of the reasons this president and other presidents have wanted to secure that border is to protect them. The people who pay for the federal government, the people who pay the salaries and pensions and health care benefits of the federal employees, the people who pay for all the security around Capitol Hill, walls, armed men and women, metal detectors, bollards, look it up, everywhere. We just want to be treated well, too, by our government. It is left to the government, not the private sector, not to the states, to secure the border. The framers believed that our politicians would at least be virtuous enough to protect the sovereignty of the nation. What they never counted on were the progressives who actually seek to change the population, who actually seek to change the voters. In order to change the country. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what's at stake. Not some minor government shutdown. Hello, I said it. Perpetrated by the House of Representatives. Controlled by the Democrats. No, there's a lot more at stake than that. What's at stake is our constitutional system, our Republican system. Because if the Democrats get away with this, with a 30-vote majority in the House of Representatives, where we control the Senate and the presidency, if they get away with it this time, we will never stop this, ever. We will never be able to secure that border. Now, I spent a great deal of time yesterday going through this article by Peter Bonyart in last year, And the last year is uh, Atlantic. He's a liberal, they're liberal. And he explained, and he's right. He reinforced exactly what's going on here. And why the Democrats have genuflect and why the media have genuflect with them. The media never presses them and says, well, why did you change your opinion? Why is the wall immoral today, but it wasn't immoral yesterday? Why were you willing to spend at some point over $50 billion, but today you don't even want to spend $5.7 billion? It comes down to power. These are hardcore radicals in the Democrat Party. They want you to believe that Pelosi and Schumer are moderates compared to the incoming uh, radical Democratic Socialist nutjobs. They're the same. They're the same. They just figured out between 2008 and 2016 that the fastest growing minority in this country, Latinos, the birth rate is higher than among African Americans and Asian Americans and Jewish Americans and so forth. And they decided to tap into this population and try and persuade them to vote Democrat. That's what happened. 
Big labor is doing exactly the same thing. We have to look at this country years in advance, years ahead. Government shutdown. They'll keep counting the numbers on TV. And I notice they include the weekends, like the government's open on the weekends, like these people are working on the weekends. You ever try and call the agriculture department at 2 p.m. on Saturday afternoon? Let me tell you, you're not going to get an answer. You ever try and call the federal government office anywhere during a national holiday? Let me tell you, you're not going to get an answer. Well, they count those days, too. If you want the truth, you must not listen to the media. If you want propaganda on the left, you listen to the media. As the Democrats grew more reliant on Latino votes, and I'm quoting again, Barnard, they were more influenced by pro-immigrant activism. And Obama turned from a let's enforce our immigration laws to let's undermine them in his midterm election, in his second term election. And then we had our crony capitalists in the U.S. Chamber of Crony Capitalism, which was also pushing for this, funding these so-called immigration rights groups. You had the Koch brothers, the radical libertarians, doing exactly the same thing. Undermining American workers. Undermining American communities, their tax base, their spending, their borrowing putting enormous financial burdens on local law enforcement, on local school systems, on hospitals. And we do all this, why? To empower the Democrat Party? To empower their surrogates in the media? We should surrender rational immigration for chaos and anarchy on the border? That's what this is about. This isn't about government employees missing a check. It's about what kind of country we're going to have. Are the sanctuary city politicians going to win out? Are the sanctuary city politicians going to drag the rest of the country into their hell? Do we all want to be San Francisco? That's the question. And when a small minority within our government that controls part of the House of Representatives, has this kind of power, you have to ask, well, how do they have it? And here's the irony. Nancy Pelosi has this kind of power because they have a majority of the House. Well, why does that matter? Because they control the purse strings under our Constitution. And we have to continue to listen to these pathological liars, Nancy Pelosi and Schumer, and most of the media. Nancy Pelosi's at the table because under our Constitution in Article 1, the House of Representatives are where these appropriation bills come from. And then she pretends that the executive branch has shut down the government. First of all, the vast majority of the government's not shut down. Secondly, let's be honest, the vast majority of the American people are utterly unaffected. But the media are in full propaganda mode. They want you to think otherwise. I'll be right back. Our nation's oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what is beautiful, and hold up what is good. But the vast majority of them have abandoned their missions. 
Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse. Rejecting the idea of objective truth, they peddle moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, none of this applies to Hillsdale College. For almost two centuries, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. As Hillsdale enters its 175th year, it remains committed to offering its students the very best liberal arts education in the land, as well as to extending its mission nationwide through its many outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. These include free online courses, the publication of its Free Speech Digest and Primus, its Kirby Center for Constitutional Studies and Citizenship in Washington, D.C., and its Barney Charter School Initiative, which is helping to establish classical K-12 charter schools nationwide. Pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844, this is Hillsdale College. Please visit hillsdale.edu to learn more. That's hillsdale.edu. Hillsdale.edu. Whatsoever. Because Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, who used to support border barriers and security, apparently 10 or 15 years ago, in the case of Schumer, like nine years ago, well, all of a sudden there's no problem, don't you see? And by the way, they support border security, just not this border security, don't you see? They need technology and drones. And that sort of stuff. Technology and drones, really. Well, on Levin TV, and it's in front of the paywall last evening, I showed you Wall's Nancy Poloni. Uh, Poloni. Yeah, Nancy Baloney. I think that's what we'll call her for now on. Nancy Baloney's uh, <laughs> winery that she has with her husband. Non-union, by the way, I would like all our union friends to know. She's got a nice stone wall all around her non-union winery. And I thought to myself, why does Nancy Baloney have this fence? All she needs is modern technology and drones. You know, let me give you an example in your own home. That'd be like having, you know, an alarm system, but no doors and no windows. Because doors and windows are immoral, don't you understand? They're intended to keep people out. How many more stupid arguments do we have to come up with deal with these insane people? I'll be right back. 175 years. That's how long Hillsdale College has been around. As we start a new year, Hillsdale's entering its 175th year, but in all of that time, it still holds the same principles since 1844. The college was founded to teach students to seek truth, to recognize what is beautiful, and to hold up what is good. Most colleges have lost their way and are now in the grip of political correctness. They reject the idea of objective truth and peddle moral and cultural relativism, not Hillsdale College. Hillsdale continues to provide sound learning essential to preserving civil and religious liberty. Hillsdale is my favorite college because it has stayed true to that mission and extends it nationwide on behalf of liberty. From its free online courses to its free speech digest and primus, from training leaders at their Kirby Center in Washington, D.C., to helping establish classical K-12 charter schools nationwide, Hillsdale is educating Americans to restore our freedom. 
pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. This is Hillsdale College. Please visit hillsdale.edu to learn more. That's hillsdale.edu. It's where listening a few minutes a day can increase your IQ. The Mark Levin Show. Call in now. 877-381-3811. You know, the uh, the Democrats are running around saying security standards are being hurt at our airport because of the TSA lack of funding. And the TSA, I believe the union boss just came out and said that's not true. So they need to lie, you see now. They need to lie to create the very manufactured crisis that they say that they're concerned about. Trump creating. They need to lie about it. I have an idea, Mr. Producer. I think the Republicans in the House should propose a spending bill and make sure that all federal law enforcement and federal security, including the TSA, is funded. What do you think of that? I think we should do that. If they're actually working, and they are, TSA is working, and any others related to that. If they're working, if they're putting in a day's work, they should be paid. Not about those who've got pink slips and aren't working. They should wait. But those who are working should be paid. And most of those who are working are in what's called these essential jobs. So they can do that, and you know what's going to happen? The Democrats will fight it. So I say, put your marker down. We should pay the TSA guys and gals. And anybody else related to our security. And nobody else until this is resolved. I like that idea. You know, Mark Morgan was the Border Patrol chief under Barack Obama. And I saw him on Fox on a program. And uh, he's also written a piece or a piece was written that quotes him. And he's very much in support of physical barriers, walls, steel, whatever they are, on the southern border. Mark Morgan, how are you, sir? Good, Mark. Uh, Tell me your position on this and why. Well, let me tell you. So twofold is it's, it's not just my experience as chief of the Border Patrol, but it's also the two decades that I spent as an FBI agent. And I'll talk about that in a second. But the bottom line is take away the, 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 the politics Take away the, the misinformation, misinformation, twisting the lies. The bottom line is the wall works. And that's not based on, a, like I said on Tucker, it's not based on a personal opinion or a specific political ideology. It's based on factual historical data that can be proven. And let, let me give you an example. So when I was, when I was in the FBI, I was the uh, agent in charge of the FBI's El Paso division, the only division that's truly on the border. And that, in that capacity, we work with the DEA and all components of DHS every single day, Mark. We were working human trafficking cases, we were working drug cases, and we were working gang cases every single day on the southern border. That's not manufactured. That's fact. Let me ask you a question, Mark Morgan. Were you ever visited by Jim Acosta? <laughs> Absolutely not. I'm serious. Were you ever visited by Allison Camarada, by Jake Tapper? No. By Don no. Lemon? By Chris Cuomo? No. no. How about uh, who about Matt Al? Any of these people Absolutely. on MSNBC, they ever come down and see you at work? No. They don't have the foggiest idea what's going on, do they? 
they don't. And I think that's one of the travesties, Mark, is that what, what I don't understand, and, and I, I think how the American people are being misinformed, the men and women of the Border Patrol, these folks that are working every single day on the front lines of this country, for you, for me, for all the citizens that are working this every single day, that dedicated their entire adult lives to protecting us, they're not asking them the experts that are working that. Because if you ask any Border Patrol agent, the rank and, rank and file or the leadership, they will tell you one thing. The wall works. Now, Mark Morgan, I've noticed, Mark Morgan, the former chief under Obama, the Border Patrol, and I'll get to that in a minute. I've also noticed something interesting. Many, if not most, of the individuals on in the Border Patrol that I see in the media are Latino. <laughs> Latino. So Ironic, it's it? it's not like they're against their fellow Latinos. It's that these are law-abiding American citizens in law enforcement who are trying to secure the border. And I also notice that most of the Democrat leadership in Washington, Schumer, Pelosi, Hoyer, uh, Durbin, that they're not Latino. You notice that? Yeah, well, Mark, absolutely, and it's a great point you make. I'll go a step further. I know these men. So not only are they Latino, but they're their spouses are Latino. There's mm-hmm. a lot of Border Patrol agents that their spouses are Mexican nationals. And we can go further, even some Central American. They, they have family, their spouses still have family members in Mexico. So you're, you're absolutely right. The, the irony there is something that just is unconscionable to me and, and gets me very frustrated. Now, you uh, were the head of the Border Patrol under Obama, but that wasn't a political position, right? Correct. So this was a civil service position, and uh, you decided to leave, or you were asked to leave? I was asked to leave. <clears throat> well, I want people to know something. This is not unusual, and I've told this story once, maybe twice. I worked in the Reagan administration, and when George H.W. Bush was elected president of the United States, during the time between his inauguration and the time he was elected, all of the Reagan appointees were asked to turn in their re- letters of resignation. And most of them had to resign. Was that sort of your situation? Yes, and and here's the thing, Mark. I'm glad you brought this up because for me, that's not the issue. You know, the the president of the Border Patrol Council, Brandon Judd, you know, he thought it was in the best interest of the Border Patrol to to go in a different direction, and the current White House administration agreed, and they did. It's big boy rules, right? I mean, that's okay. Was I disappointed because I believed in the men and women, the mission? Of course I was, but, but that's okay. So that's not what this is about. Um, I, so you're I, not I, like I, Jim I, Comey. You're not leaking to the New York Times through a professor and uh, claiming obstruction and all the rest. You said, hey, look, my time's up. I'm leaving. Yes, sir. And, and I tell you, and the only reason why I'm breaking my silence now is to show, one, the, the, you know, the very people that you know, were, were part of my removal. I, I hope that I've got some credibility with your listeners and American people when I say, just remember, so the very people that asked me to leave, I'm standing here today and I'm speaking out today saying that they're 100% right. Mm-hmm. Don't give up. Don't back down. Don't stop this shutdown. This, we're at a crossroads in this country, and this is exactly what we need to do. We really are, sir, at the, at the pre- precipice here, aren't we? Yeah, yeah we're, we're, I, I keep saying we're at a crossroads. And everything you, you said at the beginning of your show, you're, you're absolutely right. It is, it is critical. And what I would say to my, my, my brothers and sisters in the federal government, I personally have been through multiple shutdowns in my, in my uh, uh, federal career. 
What I would say is please recall why you joined the federal service to begin with. You did so because you believed in something greater than yourself. You believed in this country, and you believed making sacrifices. So what I would say to them is remember that. This is something too important. This is something greater than ourselves. So stay the course. Stay strong. Reach out to your family and friends. Ask them for help. I've got family personally that's being impacted. I've reached out to them and asked what I could do. So stay strong. Stay the course because it is that important for the future of our country. And Nancy Pelosi and Schumer really don't give a damn about these people because the power of the purse rests with the Democrats in the House of Representatives, and they could pass something that this president would agree with. It's clear this president wants to cut some kind of deal, but it's also clear the Democrats have no desire whatsoever. That, that, that's right. And $5.7 billion, come on, that's one-tenth of one percent of the budget, right? You know that. Yes. And, and so... It, Right. So that really does go to this is absolutely a pure political issue. And and they voted for spending tens of billions more. They voted for authorizing physical barriers, including walls down there on the southern border. Not that long ago. This is all about politics. It's all about power. It's all about um, it's not about the country. And uh, and that's right, Mark. And, you know, the 2006 the Secure Fence Act, you know why it was called the Secure Fence Act? Because then politically, both sides of the House didn't want to call it a wall. So, so now what we're talking about now, what, what's at stake here, even though a bipartisan bill in 2006, the Secure Fence Act was passed, was passed where 700 miles of, of barrier was built, now we're saying because of what you're calling it now, and it's a wall instead of a fence. And so now what we're, the issue is, the difference between morality and not, is the, the depth of the physical barrier and the height of the physical barrier, and whether we call it a wall or fence. That's the the delineation between moral and immoral. That's ridiculous. That's absurd. Let me ask you a question. Is the TSA told to stand down uh, when people who want to get on planes are illegal aliens? To my information, no. Are they required to show, you know, some kind of identification as to who they are? Yes. We have computers and everything else that track Americans. You know, you sign up for the special TSA premier program. They do background checks on you. People are on computer lists. American citizens. You've got old ladies who are stopped and they're wand down. You've got two-year-old little kids who are pulled aside and they're patted down and so forth and so on because we believe in security on our airplanes, correct? That's correct. We have a TSA, kind of like a domestic border patrol. And the TSA does what? It's there to make sure people don't have things in their luggage. It's illegal. Drugs, you know, toothpaste over 3.4 ounces, stuff like that. And we go through this. Now, my question is this. If we, the American people, can tolerate this, if we, the American people, can understand this, pat-downs, wandings, walking through metal detectors, taking our belts off, taking our shoes off, taking wallets out of our pocket, showing our IDs, doing all the rest of it, Why can't we expect people who aren't even Americans from the first moment they step foot in this country? They shouldn't have rules apply to them that are supposed to apply to all immigrants or even rules that apply to American citizens. Well, Mark, and you're absolutely right. And that goes to the heart of the other issue, right? So this is a comprehensive issue. So it's not just the infrastructure and technology and personnel at the border and in between the ports of entry that need to increase, of which the wall is a significant part. You're also hitting the right at the point of the asylum laws. Our asylum laws are broken. Credible fear means if somebody comes to the border and says the right magic words, they get to come into this country waiting for the, quote, uh, uh, immigration uh, credible fear hearing. And it, it's a joke. 
because the immigration lawyers and their organizations, heavily funded by the left, have basically given them what's the equivalent of a, a Miranda statement. And they know exactly the words to use that triggers the law. They say, okay, our courts are backed up, or these administrative judges were backed up, see you in two years, and they're off to the races, and 95% don't show up. That's right, and it goes to your heart, your, your, your point you just made. Those people are coming in. How well do you think we're able to vet those individuals? Someone coming from a Central American country, do you really think we have the ability to properly vet? Well, Mark Morgan, you're, you were former chief of the Border Patrol. This is my question. The, the, the media is all excited because I think it was Chris Wallace said, our statistics that we found show that only you only stop six terrorists. Well, by the way, that's good six stops right there. But let me ask you this. We don't really know how many we stop because we don't know who, who all these illegal aliens are. Why doesn't Chris or one of the others ask this question? How do we know how many terrorists may get through? How many don't know how many murders or future murders will get through when we don't know who these people are? You're absolutely correct. And again, you know, another thing that's not talked about is, you know, it's so disingenuous right now, Mark, where they're, they're, they're talking about the numbers and they're basically saying that everybody's lying about the numbers that they're talking about. And one set of numbers that they're not talking about is the people that we don't catch, mm-hmm. right? What's it's that, about a million? It's, I, I, a I year? Think that, I think you could make an argument that it's at least that. And, and to your point is, on both by the way, months, By the way, before you, can I give some perspective to that? We just say a million a year. That's bigger than the population of the state of Delaware. Exactly. So, so we have the number of illegal aliens coming into this country every year that's bigger than the population of the state of Delaware. It's bigger than the population of the state of Wyoming, Vermont, the District of Columbia, Alaska, North Dakota, not combined, but individually, South Dakota and Montana. And that's never talked about, Mark, except on shows like yours. And that's exactly right. So right now you're looking at about 400,000. By the way, I need to, there are no shows like mine. But anyway, go right ahead. <laughs> so, so you're you're looking at about four hundred thousand that are apprehended. The stats show, and you know, it's impossible to prove a negative. But, but a lot of you know uh, um, attempts have been made to say, well, how many we're not catching? And those numbers are anywhere between for every one we catch, there's one to two that we're not. So you're easily at that million mark, and it's just not talked about. But that's that, and that's not being manufactured. That's true. You know, so when they talk about the 17,000 murderers, rapists, pedophiles, and gang members that are apprehended at the border, okay, so, so for sake of argument, let's cut that in half. Let's cut it in half, 8,500. So, so my, my friends on the Democratic side, what number is okay with you? What number of murders, rapists, pedophiles, and gang members are you okay that were apprehended in between the point of entry? And that's just the ones we're apprehending. Let's, let's talk about the ones we're not apprehending. It's, it's truly remarkable. And, and the, it's unconscionable, Mark, that they can sit here still today in a straight face and say that this is manufactured. Mm-hmm. It's unconscionable. Well, they're lucky. They have a media chorus, a media mob, that serves as their uh, collective mouthpiece. Let me tell you something, Mark Morgan. You are terrific. You're very articulate. You're very substantive. You served this country very, very well. I wish you were still in the administration. And I want to thank you. Stay out there. Keep pressing the case. I appreciate it. Well, thank, thanks for giving me the time, and uh, the same goes to you. This is the message that needs to get out. We're a crossroads in this country, and we can't give up. We need to stay the course. Amen. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Hey. 
Have you ever thought about the word education? It means to lead forth. Now, let me tell you about a place that leads forth. Hillsdale College. At Hillsdale, students are challenged to discover the right way forth by reading the greatest books by the greatest minds in history. And they learn the meaning of the three ultimate and related things, the good, the true, and the beautiful. Now, unfortunately, many of our nation's other colleges have lost their way. Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse. Rejecting the idea of objective truth, they peddle moral and cultural relativism. But as we begin a new year, we can be thankful that none of this applies to Hillsdale College. For almost two centuries, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. As Hillsdale enters its 175th year, it remains committed to offering its students the very best liberal arts education in the land, as well as to extending its mission nationwide through its many outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. These include free online courses, the publication of its Free Speech Digest and Primus, its Kirby Center for Constitutional Studies and Citizenship in Washington, D.C., and its Barney Charter School Initiative, which is helping to establish classical K-12 charter schools nationwide, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. This is Hillsdale College. Please visit Hillsdale. Go to hillsdale.edu to learn more. That's hillsdale.edu. I mean, it's so obvious what's going on here, ladies and gentlemen, that the Democrat Party is trying to devour what's left of our culture, of our rules, uh, and to uh, hijack them for themselves. So the insanity that they propose and the insane politicians that they promote should run the country. And they have a lot of power. They've managed to, uh, to secrete themselves into our educational system, into entertainment, late night entertainment, uh, other television, movies, Hollywood generally, even the uh, award shows. But the greatest, the greatest victory they have is with our so-called free press. It's not a free press anymore. It's an ideological machine. It's not a free press anymore. It's nothing like any kind of press we've ever had in this country. From before our founding to our founding and up to about 80, 90 years ago when the progressive movement really advanced. During the break, I really am debating with myself. And that's really funny to watch if you ever see me debate with myself. Anyway, there's a really great piece in The American Thinker by John Dale Dunn that was just sent to me. And it's going to seem like I'm patting myself on the head, like I have an ego problem, because he talks about rediscovering Americanism. I'm flirting with reading it to you. Not because I'm mentioned in it, but he does a hell of a good job of providing a synopsis. And this provides the foundation for understanding what's been going on in this immigration fight with the media and really all the rest that we're confronting. I'll think about it. I'll be back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, 
deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here, live and national. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. We're going to have a great Life, Liberty, and Levin this Sunday, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Really, you need to watch it. If you can't watch it, you need to record it. I'm going to have Professor Paul Kengar on from Grove City. Now you say, okay, great. Let me tell you something. We're really going to discuss Russia, the old Soviet Union, and how Democrats and the Democrat Party colluded and conspired with them at Yalta with Aldra Hiss. How Ted Kennedy, in 1983, sought the Kremlin's help. The head of the KGB sought the Kremlin's help in defeating Ronald Reagan for re-election. We're going to get into these things. Because they have to... Oh, we found an email from Mueller providing poll information to Vladimir Putin's guy. Hey, in 1992, they found a letter... In the Soviet archives. By the head of the KGB. To Andropov, the head of the USSR. Laying out Ted Kennedy's offer to the communists. And then if we have John Kerry in 1971. Before the Paris peace negotiations. Meeting with the North Vietnamese communist delegates beforehand. We've got all kinds of stuff. We've got old Speaker Jim Wright, R.I.P., who met with Daniel Ortega, the communist in Nicaragua, and he's still now back in Nicaragua killing people and locking people up. We've got the New York Times, which promoted Castro. So, ladies and gentlemen, when you hear Mark Weiner on the news going, I think we now have some evidence of collusion. We have an email where polling information was... Is this a joke? The Democrat Party has been in the pants of the Russian communists from day one. From John Dewey forward. May I say, with all due respect. So I thought about this during the break. Because it is very, very important to me to respect you. It's very important to me that you spend time listening to this program. I do not like reading articles about me. I almost never do it. And then I thought, okay, I'm mentioned repeatedly in here, but what John Dale Dunn, who's both a lawyer, I don't know him, and an emergency room doctor, so he's a brilliant gentleman, what he wrote here in The American Thinker really should have been written up at National Review and some of these other places, but they hate me. What can I tell you? So I talk directly to you, my beloved audience. And the title of his piece, again, try and think about this without the usual talk show hosts, you know, massive ego. Try and think about this as I get to the substance. He says, Mark Levin on our desperate state. And I want you to think about what I'm going to read here in context with what's going on. With the push to destroy the Second Amendment, with the push to destroy the First Amendment, 
What's going on with the media? What's going on on our border? The demand for 70%, no, 90%, top rate on income tax. There's a reason for all this. And when I write my books, I address these things. I'm trying to figure out what's going on in society, trying to give it a historical context. I'm working on a book now. I've been, I worked on it through the whole so-called vacation, 20 hours a day. And I work on it every night till 2, 3 in the morning. Does anybody else do that? No. In addition to my Fox show, my Levin TV show and radio. So now and then I have a little edge on me, you know. Ask Mr. Producer. Um, let me just start this and see how far we go. So he's writing about my book, Rediscovering Americanism and the Tyranny of Progressivism. And again, in the title, I try and tell you this is what the book's about. And it is a very substantive book. You can't read it overnight. You have to take your time. Which means no reporter in America has read it. None of the knuckleheads at MSNBC or CNN, they don't read it. They go, oh, look at that. And when you look at Wikipedia, you have no idea what I'm really saying in these things because they don't analyze it. They just give, this guy said this about it and this guy said that about it. And all the leftists who go in and edit it. The people who write about talk radio and write about me, they never read my books. They never really listened to this program. He says this new book, which is a little over a year older, but it's my newest book, is an excellent and thoroughgoing exegesis of the American phenomenon of limited representative government with respect for private property and individual liberty. It's also a siren call that names names and explains the theories and the unfortunate successes of domestic and foreign enemies of the American experiment prominent in the 19th and 20th centuries, in particular, which have brought us to a critical and dangerous point today. Unfortunately, President Reagan was right when he said, we are only one generation, a wasted generation for sure, I'm quoting him, away from the extinction of American freedom and liberty if citizens are not attentive. Levin, who was chief of staff in the Reagan administration's Department of Justice under Ed Meese, is always on the alert and ready to defend America's precious founding precepts as an author, daily radio commentator, the director of a legal action foundation, is, and is considered here an author of great success and repute. Wow. I should meet this guy. Okay. The substance. The strength of the book is Levin's ability to lay out the history and ideological tenets and conflicts, major events and players, and pull them all together into a story of how America came to be, and then explain why recently developing progressivism, read, Atheistic, secular, utopian, humanistic, administrative, welfare state socialism is a threat. Levin reminds us of the basis for the American founding's rational, national, uh, natural law-based approach to creating a sophisticated Republican government that avoids the dangers of mobocracy and human ambition that can abuse power. Levin's focus is the foundation, natural law and its elements, traditional morality derived from natural law, individualism, capitalism, property rights, liberty, freedom from oppression. He shows that the structures that provide for limited government are based on the natural law and respect for property rights, as well as citizens' freedom from tyranny of the majority or tyranny of government. As Levin repeatedly emphasizes, America is all about the value of the individual citizen, 
the precious value of the human person. In the latter half of the book, and I will explain this in the context of what we've been talking about in current events, Levin turns to the rise of statism slash socialism, which he calls progressivism. Now, I want to make it clear. In Ameritopia, I abandon this word progressivism, and I call it statism. I actually do it in liberty and tyranny, first and foremost. But I went back to using the word uh, progressivism, but I cautioned that it's really not progressive in any way. It's statism. But I have to talk the language of the modern talk, or it gets confusing. It gets confounding for people who are reading it. So that's why... I put it back in. So, statism, which he calls progressivism, and the major proponents of the totalitarian ideology who are the product of the thinking of Plato, Rousseau, Hegel, and Marx in the 19th century. And then Herbert Crowley, Wilson, Dewey, the Roosevelts, and other socialist promoters in the 20th century, all of whom spawned the expansive administrative welfare state, changed the educational system at all levels, and created... Socialized-based governance. The common thing the proponents hold up is that individuals are not as important as the collective, and that ideologically is the beginning of the skid to tyranny of the state, as Levin energetically and thoroughly explains. <coughs> John Dewey saw education as a way to counteract and transform the individualist tendencies in people and instill in them instead a cooperative and collective attitude. According to Levin, there is now a vast gulf between the government, the progressives have constructed, and the framers' constitution. That's what this fight is about, ladies and gentlemen, on the border. Progressivism versus constitutionalism. And the president has it exactly right, and he deserves all of our support. And let me just say as a footnote, I don't think he's going to buckle, but I think his party may buckle. Already eight of them have buckled in the House of Representatives. There's a handful of them. Like Corey Gardner and Susan Collins and others who are starting to buckle. And if he loses the Republican Party, he obviously can't stand firm. So keep an eye on that. Not Trump buckling, but the GOP buckling. Over that foundation are now layers and layers of progressive administrative centralized control over minute aspects of daily life. In creating these new layers, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the separation of powers, and federalism have been rejected and diminished. Countless individual rights and liberties have been seized or rejected as impediments to control. The expansive, tyrannical administrative state extinguishes the value of the citizen. Now look, isn't that what's happening on immigration? And that in turn snuffs out freedom and liberty and the right to property. At heart, Levin explains a progressive is one who believes in the perfectibility of man by government tinkering and control. If the tinkering and control produce harm, the good intentions immunize the well-intended progressive. You know, like Venezuela. It's not the government that's the problem. It's these, these individuals who just won't conform. For instance, the goal for Woodrow Wilson-style progressives was to create an activist and interventional government that Wilson called an unbounded activist government. Wilson wanted that, installed as, quote, ruled by a trained, centralized bureaucracy, independent from the genuine consent of the governed and constitutional constraints. Now, let's stop there. I'm going to speak the truth, however it affects various radio ratings and so forth. This is why Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer 
hold the illegal alien higher than the citizen because the illegal alien, once they come into this country, can be molded, they believe, into a Democrat, can be molded and controlled as part of a mass. This is also why the job of a federal employee is more important than anybody else's job outside of the government. Right? Because the Democrat Party is about government, not the private sector. It's about departments and bureaucracies, not entrepreneurship and small business. So that's why they will hold this out. That's why when, when shops shutter or an industry shutters, they really don't even care. But if there is a Short-term, relatively short-term closure of a handful of departments, it's the end of the world. Because remember, they are there to represent, defend, and promote government against the individual, against private property, and your liberty. Levin clearly demonstrates that progressives set this stage over 100 years ago and have been pushing forward successfully to promote the expanded administrative state ever since. Then he praises me. I'll try and... Move on from that. Levin asserts we should be, but I want to thank him, represented by those we elect to speak for us, not ruled without consent by an army of bureaucrats, with long-term agendas and silly utopian posturing that always creates the problem of unanticipated negative consequences. He always asserts to his credit that our voices as individuals should be paramount and our freedoms must be protected by our Bill of Rights. He's informative and he also provides, okay, I provide a lot of, references and footnotes in case the reader really wants to dig into a particular subject or individual on their own. And I also believe in giving credit where credit is due, where people have done scholarship, where they've used their intellectual firepower on something. You don't steal it. A lot of radio hosts steal it. You don't steal it. Levin provides overwhelming evidence that the government now is nothing like what was intended by the framers and the founders of America with the development of an administrative state that has layers and layers of bureaucrats and central controls of details of people's lives never conceived by our forefathers. At the same time, there is an extinction of the intents of the framers to create a limited government by the consent of the governed, a government limited by its enumerated powers, but also limited by separation of powers of the branches and so forth. I will post this on my social sites if you'd like to read the rest of it. Those of you who, where, where your eyes are curling up into, the, uh, into your head, I apologize. But again, I'm not trying to promote me. I don't have to. I'm not hawking the book. What's taking place here is very, very important to understand. This isn't about a temporary government shutdown. It's not even about a government shutdown. This is about whether the rule of law is going to prevail. This is about whether or not we're going to be a nation state with a border and sovereignty. This is about whether or not the hardcore left is going to be able to drag this country in a direction, even though they only control one house of two houses of Congress. Where we have a president who's willing to speak out and stand firm. Because I'm telling you right now. If we don't win this fight, it won't be fought again. It won't be fought again. The politics will become impossible. There'll be too many people here from other countries who are legalized and then become citizens. The states will fold. The red states will fall. And the Democrats will see that even with Donald Trump, who's the toughest they have faced, they're able to get their way. By hounding him, by hounding you and me, by calling us names, 
by relentless propaganda from the phony free, uh, free press. And they'll also tell us that elections don't matter. And we are in for a big fight over this. We are in for a big fight over our Constitution. And I want to reiterate something I said yesterday. Do I have 30 seconds or not, Rich? One minute. Listen to me, please. The others will repeat it, but you heard it here first because I've been thinking about this. I told you earlier this week, and I've been thinking about it more, and I am convinced that Mr. Mueller's operation has been in communication with the Democrat leadership. I can't prove it. I am surmising it. I'm saying it up front. But when you have Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Nadler and all the others, radical leftists who unleash this special counsel on us, who keep saying to their more crazy, outspoken leftists, be quiet, let's wait for the Mueller report. Let's wait for the Mueller report. Let's wait for the Mueller report. I am telling you they know certain aspects that are going to come in that Mueller report. And I think Mueller and this guy Weissman and his hating hateful, left-wing Democrat donor staff are definitely going to try and bring this president down. And I'm telling you, I think the Democrat leadership knows in part what's in this report or this coming report. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. I only have a minute in this segment, folks. I apologize. But that just meant the prior segment was long. And, of course, we have another hour and a half on the program. Deniers. Deniers. Pelosi and Schumer are border deniers. Pelosi and Schumer are citizenship deniers. That border is the Pelosi-Schumer open border. That's what it is. Here's my question to you. Are there enough of us who still believe in law and order who still embrace the whole notion of an American culture of the rule of law? Are there enough of us left to make a difference? I think there are. I just think we're outnumbered in these power centers, you know, academia, media, Hollywood, and so forth. What do you think? I'll be right back. Show where we create the talking points. Call in now, 877-381-3811. I thought the president's speech last night, by the way, was excellent. It was concise, hit all the points he needed to hit. 
Uh, you know, you got people dug in no matter what uh, on the left because of the insane uh, uh, and radical agenda they're trying to advance in order to empower themselves. And I thought Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer looked like two stiffs. I really do. I was wondering where the pallbearers were. Weren't you, Mr. Producer? I just thought they uh, filled them up with, you know, helium or something and, and, and stood them up. But they said nothing new. They're full of propaganda and rhetoric. Uh, they have uh, no justification for their position. But it doesn't matter. You got Joe Scarborough, who's a thoroughly uh, detestable human being, out there defending them. You've got Don Lemon with an IQ of negative 73. You've got these phony fact checkers out there now. And this is, a, and I posted this, I think it was early this morning, Mr. Producer. I'm sending Mr. Producer stuff at three in the morning because I'm working on my book. He's sleeping but when he wakes up. And, uh, and I stated in there, I said, now, now they have a new, uh, a new game, a new ruse. Fact checkers in which they advance their ideology. And by the way, that was picked up all day today by radio and websites. But we need to call them out. We did a fact check. No, you didn't. You're frauds. Now, how comfortable are you with technology that tracks your car, your cell phone, and where you use your bank or credit cards? Technology's great, right? But not so much if you owe money to the IRS, because guess what? Word is out that the IRS and their army of tax collectors have access to sophisticated data analytics, underscore sophisticated. Now, if the IRS hasn't caught up to you yet, or even if they're already sending you letters threatening collection action, Optima Tax Relief can help. Optima can help stop the demand letters, stop aggressive collections actions, and stop that army of tax collectors with technology from targeting you. Optima has resolved over half a billion dollars in tax debt for their clients and their experts in IRS Fresh Start Initiative. So call them now. Take the first step towards ending your IRS nightmare. They will take it over for you. Stop stressing out. Call for your free consultation while you still have options, because tomorrow it might be too late. Call 800-499-6300, 800-499-6300, Now, as soon as the president mentioned that, look, I can build that wall under national emergency circumstances, he was attacked. He's attacked by phony judicial analysts on cable. He was attacked by phony former federal prosecutors. He was attacked by former journalism school dropouts as being dictatorial, as violating our Constitution. This isn't how we want our government to run. But you actually have to read these things. You read the statute. It's a statute that was passed in 1976, codifying what, in essence, is collecting what former statutes had empowered a president to do all the way back before Abraham Lincoln. And this was passed in 1976, the National Emergencies Act. And there's some really scary powers in there that even I would question. But one of them, in, in conjunction with the Immigration and Naturalization Act, and we've talked about this at some length, would in fact allow the president, the president to take steps to build a wall. Now, this can be challenged. Uh, you can have a joint resolution of Congress, majority of each, uh, in each house, that reverse the president. They'll no doubt bring it to court, even though the political branches should decide it, but that won't stop some activist judge. So there's at least one check, perhaps two. But they're boxing the president in, you see. 
And so if he goes in this direction, they're going to say that it's never been done before. It's been done dozens of times before, not for a wall or physical barrier or steel or whatever it is, but for many, many other reasons. It's been done by the never Trumpers favorite president, George W. Bush. It was done by Obama. It was done by Clinton. It was done by the other Bush. It was done by Reagan. So this act has been used. You'll not hear that on CNN, MSNBC. You may not even hear it on Fox. But you've heard it from me. But I want to double down on this. I want to bring in my friend Daniel Horowitz. He's brilliant. He writes a conservative review. He thinks about these things a lot. He had an outstanding piece up there yesterday, which we linked to. Daniel Horowitz, how are you, my friend? I'm doing all right. It's great to be back with you, Mark. It's always a pleasure. Now, explain in a little bit more detail why the president, that doesn't mean he won't be challenged, but why the president does have the authority to try and do this. Well, first of all, isn't it funny how everything the president wants to do to secure our sovereignty, our, our civil society, somehow that's unlawful, mm-hmm. but everything illegals want to do, they could do. This, just- this is a great point. So the whole notion of illegal immigration and sanctuary cities, all illegal, is defend, that's defended. But the President of the United States taking a statute and having his smart lawyers look at it and considering uh, executing and instituting it, that is somehow a violation. That's an excellent point. So, so the thing is, just in general, before getting to the actual statute, it's important to recognize that, you know, unlike other powers, that I think you and I would both agree that the legislature in general gives way too much power to the executive branch, delegates too much authority. When it comes to national security and immigration and the two mixed together, there is a rich history, and for good reason, to give the president a lot of leverage not to ratchet up immigration, but to ratchet it down and or to secure our national defense. Right, that is something that I think there's a lot of legitimacy to, even though this particular statute has quasi-martial law, and we could revisit that another time. Yeah, exactly. I don't like that part. I, but, I don't like that part. But, but the part we're talking let, about— Let me slow you down a second, because you, you raise another good point. We have a recent, relatively recent Supreme Court decision, 5-4, to four, United States versus Arizona, which underscores your point that a president of the United States has an enormous amount of flexibility in determining how he wants to, quote-unquote, prosecute immigration issues. So this is the amazing thing, Mark. This is the, the, the catch-22 they play. When you have a Democrat president nullifying immigration statute and states are merely echoing federal law, then they say, no, 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 you don't understand. The federal government has so much authority that you can't even just merely echo federal law. All right, then you got a Republican president who then wants to enforce federal law or use other powers to take things a step further, and they say, wait a minute. States could now nullify federal law. So the common denominator is heads the illegals win, tails they win, sovereignty loses every time. Mm-hmm. So tell us about this statute. So, again, there's authorization and there's appropriation. The president is absolutely authorized by three statutes to build the wall. The 1996 immigration bill, which Schumer and Pelosi both voted for, Feinstein, Leahy, all these guys that are still there. Um, the 2006 Secure Fence Act, and an anti-trafficking law, which was designed to give the president authority to build a fence to block the TCOs, transnational criminal organizations, and we can get to that a little later. Where does the money come from? That is the issue. He needs appropriations in order to build that wall. 
The Emergencies Act has Section 2808, which allows the Secretary of Defense to, to redirect funding um, from military construction projects. There's tens of billions of unspent monies in the account, and he could redirect that to the use of buttressing the, our armed forces. And there's another statute, 33 U.S. Code 2293, that doesn't even have to do with the deployment of troops just allows them to redirect resources of the department's Army Civil Works programs to fund any project that is essential to national defense. Everyone agrees he could declare that emergency, and once he declares it, he could construct this. What the naysayers are saying is really not a legal argument. It's a political argument. They don't agree with his determination. They don't think we have a problem because they are border deniers. You know, they have the climate deniers. Well, there's border deniers then. And therefore, they think, see no evil, hear no evil at our border. Their brain cannot conceptualize the border cartels, the plaza cartels, the drugs, the human smugglings, the, the criminals. To them, that is not a national defense issue. They have the right to make that case. But there is no justiciable limitation put in the statute on the president's authority to declare an emergency and B, once he declares it, how to define what he considers national defense. That is left to the political branches to fight out if they disagree with him. Isn't his biggest problem, Daniel Horowitz, when the media start their, uh, their rampage and the Democrats start their rampage, and they claim it's illegal, and you have some of these phony judicial analysts who do the same thing so they can get patted on the back by left-wing media. Isn't his biggest problem his own party that starts to buckle? They're already starting to buckle. You have these eight clowns in the House of Representatives. you got a few clowns in the Senate. It doesn't take much. You know, uh, the government has been, quote-unquote, partially shut down for, what, two weeks, week, two and a half weeks? And uh, and already they're buckling. And isn't that the president's biggest problem, his own party? You know, you, you can't play a football game if all the members of your team are running the ball in the opposite direction. And this is the problem we have pretty much on every single issue in politics. Where are the Republican senators backing the president? Where are they making the case? I don't hear any of this. Why did it take years for a president or any major official to give such a speech and tell people what is going on? The entirety of the drug crisis, the entirety of it is from the border. The entirety of the transnational gang crisis we have now, which is worse than ever, is from the border. Um, you know, one federal agent told me recently, a decade ago, he never heard of the word human trafficking in America. That was a third world country phenomenon. Now it's in all 50 states. This is a core national defense issue, but the fact that we haven't had a party making the case for, for years forces this president to reinvent the wheel overnight without any backing. And I think that's, that's really the core problem we have politically. You know, Daniel Horowitz, some commentators who are never Trumpers or were never Trumpers are saying the president should stop engaging, stop fighting with these people. They're so weird. They're so radical. They're so stupid. They'll, they'll defeat themselves. I say absolutely not. We have to make our own case. And we've been wanting a president who engages not just in actions, but verbally with these people. And that's one of the reasons they hate him so much, isn't it? Well, p part of the problem with these commentators is they're a bunch of thumbsuckers that just um, read some tweets and they think they know about everything. I mean, here at, at Conservative Review, we have spent years 
speaking to every level of state and federal law enforcement on every angle of the border issue and the amalgamation of the drug crisis, terrorism, terror finance, criminal aliens. And this is a whole this is an entire field that they are missing. So to them, there's nothing urgent. They don't understand the president's problem. To, the, to them, this is just another day, you know, another walk in the park. So they don't see this sense of urgency, and they figure, hey, we should just go back to funding HUD and uh, you know, doing whatever else we're doing, when, as you all know, this is the core reason why we moved from the Articles of Confederation to the Constitution, in the words of Madison, was to stop obnoxious aliens from intruding in our country so state you know because states didn't have the ability to do that isn't part of the problem in addition that nancy pelosi if something horrific happens in this country as a result of a terrorist working their way into our country they'll blame trump who's been trying to secure the border and she is literally responsible for nothing in terms of execution so she can sit there, she can undermine the commander-in-chief, she can undermine the Border Patrol, undermine ICE, all of whom they ignore, undermine the secretary of DHS. She rejects her facts, and she is a border denier, as you point out. And, but she's responsible, literally, for nothing. No, and, and, and this is the problem. A lot of people don't realize, of course, Iran poses a looming nuclear threat, but a couple of weeks ago, Rouhani, the leader of Iran, spoke at a conference, and he insinuated that he would attack the West with what? Quote, drugs, migrants, terrorists, and bombs. They know exactly our vulnerabilities. They have a robust Latin American operation, the Quds Force and Hezbollah. And Border Patrol, if you speak to any of them, they will tell you that this bogus asylum coming over because of the magnets supported by Pelosi, they come over a hundred at a time. They don't come over on their own. The border cartels orchestrate the flow and shove them into the hands of the agents. That takes them out of the game, and then through the gaps, they have these spotters. There's a Spanish word for it, I forgot the name, where they go and bring in the heavy-duty, um, high-valued individuals, drugs, and yes, the special interest aliens. If I am Iran, that is the play I make against America. If possible, I'd like to hold you over for one more segment before we break here. And... Uh and my question to you that I want you to think about is this. Has the Democrat Party sunk so low, moved so hard left, that even Franklin Roosevelt wouldn't recognize it? Would Franklin Roosevelt put up with a border like this? Would Harry Truman put up with a border like this? Would John Kennedy put up with a border like this? That's my question to you. I'd like your answer when we return. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Ladies and gentlemen, the new year is here, but so is that sagging jawline and double chin. Now you can just make them disappear and look your best in 2019. Introducing the brand new Genesel jawline treatment with dual peptide and MDL technology, Chamonix's most advanced technology ever. It not only tightens saggy jawlines, but it also plumps the lipophilic layers of your skin to contour and define the jawline within minutes. Using peptides and metolactones together for the first time, it works amazingly fast, and results get better every day. And right now, during Chamonix's New Year's giveaway, the revolutionary Genesel jawline treatment is yours absolutely free when you order the Genesel for your under-eye bags and puffiness. 
And for results in 12 hours, Genesel's immediate effects is also free when you call or click right now. Call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604. Start this year right with beautiful skin, no bags and puffiness, and tighter, higher jawline. Call or click now, 800-SKIN-604 or Genesel.com. That's Genesel.com, 800-SKIN-604. All right, Daniel Horowitz. The party today, the leadership today, is nothing like the party and leadership of the past, is it? You know, I would argue a little bit and say, you know, you were saying FDR wouldn't recognize it. I would say Barbara Boxer wouldn't recognize it, and here's why. In 1996, the Republicans came in and had an agenda to pass an immigration reform bill and a welfare reform bill, and the two of them were mixed. The idea was that immigration should only be in the national interest, and even legal immigrants should never be eligible for for welfare. We needed to cut chain migration and then completely end illegal immigration. Democrats disagreed with the legal immigration portions, and they gutted it. But when it came to illegal immigration, this passed unanimously out of the Senate, and almost every member of the House voted for it. It authorized the San Diego fence. It authorized visa tracking. It expanded deportations for criminal aliens. It updated public charge laws. It um, created E-Verify. It actually created the 287G program cooperating with local law enforcement. That's 287G of that statute. And you know what else? It barred states from providing in-state tuition breaks. To this day, I don't know how states do it. Um, To the contrary. But the point is the courts and the bureaucracies gutted this over the years. At the time, Barbara Boxer said that this bill recognizes that states like California, which bear most of the burden of illegal immigration, should not be left alone to deal with this Mm. national problem. Mm -hmm. That's how far we've come. So what's changed then is the growing Latino population, Peter Beinart writes, and the realization in the middle of the Obama administration as he was preparing to run for re-election that they need to abandon the positions they held and embrace this new radical position because, as Salon wrote, they could have 40 years of control and the Republicans would be in the desert. Isn't that the bottom line? Even if that means empowering the most evil drug cartels. Exactly. Daniel Horowitz, keep up the great work. You're a wonderful patriot over there at Conservative Review. Thank you very much. I shall return. Do you wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day? Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit, but most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? How much we should be eating and how to properly prepare it. This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouse, L-E-V-I-N.com, offer code LEVIN. He's here. He's here. Now. 
now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. President wants to secure the border. You know, a couple months ago, the media and the Democrats, one and the same, had a mantra. They always have a new mantra. They had a mantra about, um, you know, the separation of children from parents, um, people coming across the border illegally. And they said that Trump had created what are effectively internment camps. Internment camps. Now, of course, he created no such thing. I don't need to go through all this with you again. Uh, But it was actually Franklin Roosevelt who created internment camps. And he signed a military order directing that 120,000 Japanese Americans and Americans of Japanese descent were to be removed from their homes and moved into these camps. Some were placed in Arizona, some were placed elsewhere. They were to be moved off the West Coast. I I want you to know some history. It's all very important because FDR is one of the favorite presidents of the left and the tenured uh, prof- uh, historians who are professors. It, you know, usually is Washington, Lincoln, Lincoln, Washington, and of course, FDR. Sometimes they put FDR first because he was the great progressive. One day it'll be Obama. FDR was a racist. I'm not saying that to be provocative. It's an excellent book written on this subject, put out by Harvard, a gentleman by the name of Robinson, by order of the president. Spent a lot of time reading history. And uh, he issued the order. And the New York Times thought it was really kind of cool. Here's the headline from the New York Times. March 24, 1942. Japanese begin evacuation trek. First caravan, they like the word caravan, of 350 cars with 1,000 leaves Los Angeles for Owens River Valley. Listen to this sub-headline. Good humor prevails. Government announced plans for colonization of 20,000 in Arizona Indian Reserve. This Democrat Party is amazing, isn't it? Now, that's not that long ago, 1942. So I've been uh, reading this book, I've been reading scores of books over the last several weeks as I do my research. And they point this out, does Robinson. Uh, this book is not a new book. It comes from the Harvard University Press, so it must be good, right? It's first copyright, uh, let's see here, I believe is uh, 1966. Let me read you this. Two closely interrelated elements stand out strongly as determinative in the president's decision and his subsequent actions. One of these was undoubtedly Roosevelt's own negative beliefs about Japanese Americans. 
while the other was a failure of political and moral leadership that resulted from weakness in his presidential style and administrative organization. FDR's hostile attitude toward Japanese Americans had deep roots in his past, as early as 1913, when legal discrimination against Japanese aliens in California brought Japan and the United States close to war. The young FDR, then at the outset of his career in public service, began to regard both the the icy immigrants and their American-born, that is the original immigrants from uh, Japan, and their American-born nicey children, that's what they called them, as a menace. A foreign and racially uh, and racial population that couldn't be assimilated, whose presence was a source of both chronic irritation to their white American neighbors, I'm quoting, and conflict with Japan. And during the 1920s, even as FDR praised the Japanese government and called for closer relations between the two countries, he publicly opposed any further immigration of the Japanese into the United States. He justified discriminatory legislation against Japanese aliens on the West Coast as a means of preserving white racial purity. This, this has been the history of the Democrat Party. Slavery, segregation, Woodrow Wilson, Franklin Roosevelt. Yes, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. You don't hear these things. Although FDR did not consider people of Japanese ancestry racially inferior, in his view they were a biologically distinct people were innately incapable of adapting to American society or becoming true Americans. This is your Democrat Party. This is your great FDR. He argued that they needed to be kept apart, and he considered anti-Japanese nativist sentiment reasonable and just. The president's inability, this goes to immigration, his inability to conceive of people of Japanese ancestry as true Americans contributed to his failure to intervene to protect their liberty and property rights in the face of public hysteria. They're talking about after the attack on Pearl Harbor. Although he realized the NICI were United States citizens, Roosevelt was unwilling to recognize that they had the same inalienable rights to due process and equal protection of the laws as other citizens. And the media our free press, freedom of the press. The vanguard of 112,000 Japanese aliens with American-born and American-born who must evacuate the West Coast combat zone rolled up the Owens Valley by motor convoy this evening to temporary new homes. First 500 to arrive, weary but gripped with the spirit of adventure over a new pioneering chapter in American history drove the 230 miles from the outskirts of Los Angeles in their own cars, paced by highway patrolmen and army jeeps. A similar number came by train to the Lone Pike, where buses and trucks met them to carry the evacuees and their possessions the last 10 miles to a new reception center, rising as if by magic at the foot of snow-capped peaks. Doesn't that sound good, Mr. P- uh, Mr. Uh, Producer? By Lawrence Davies of the New York Times. March 23, 1942, actually. March 23, 1942. It goes on. What I'm trying to get at here is what the president is proposing on the border is very mild medicine, ladies and gentlemen. He's not discriminating against a single human being. 
let alone a race of people. He wants to secure the border. He talks about legal immigration. He talks about giving uh, members of the DACA group amnesty. But the Democrats won't agree. You got to watch the Democrats and their motives very, very carefully. You have to ignore the the spin in their static. You have to ignore the media propaganda on their behalf. You got to think about what is motivating them. And it's been revealed what's motivating them. Power. Power. If 75% of the Latino population voted Republican, they'd be building walls and moats. They'd be putting a 50 caliber machine guns on the border. They would do whatever they had to do to keep people out. Because that's what they do. And when 75% of Latinos vote Democrat, no wall, no fence, open borders, and entice people with sanctuary cities, sanctuary states, free health care in New York City, free health care here and there, no matter whether it bankrupts a city or a state, destroys your tax base, destroys uh, property rights and all the rest. doesn't matter. What's the primary importance is the Democrat Party and, and the power of those elites. And you, and you may be shaking your head. That can't be. Look all over the world. Why is Venezuela the way it is? To help the people? No. To keep in power the people who are in charge. China. Russia. America, in many ways, is, is, the, is one of the few exceptions, ladies and gentlemen. So it is a battle between liberty and tyranny. It's a battle between constitutionalism and progressivism. But the bottom line is they are statists. And we are constitutionalists. The media basically supported what Franklin Roosevelt was doing in his abuse of Japanese Americans. In his internment camps, the United States Supreme Court upheld it. In an infamous decision, the Korematsu decision, it upheld it. This president wants to secure the border. He's being blocked by part of the House of Representatives. He's being blamed for a government shutdown. The media call him a liar, call him worse than that. He's got limited options. He's the president. He's responsible for the border, ultimately. He's responsible for the executive branch, which is the administrative state. He has a lot of arguments he can make about needing to trigger the National Emergencies Act, not because he's a dictator, not because he's Hitler. Every president before him, 1976 Ford, has used that act for one reason or another. And he can trigger it, and he can trigger it by using the Immigration and Naturalization Act. And there's a section of that act that talks about what an emergency is, and it very clearly defines what he's talking about. And that's why you hear the Democrats saying this is manufactured, 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 because they're trying to stay two steps ahead of him if he does, in fact, trigger the National Emergencies Act. Then they're going to say he manufactured this. So whatever they can do to tear him down and, quite frankly, to tear the country down is fine by them. The only crisis they ever see is one that involves redistributing wealth. Redistributing wealth. The New York Times and almost the rest of the American media thought the internment of Japanese Americans was a swell thing. Was a swell thing. 
and they lecture us. Where are the fact checkers coming from the New York Times? All the news that's fit the rap fish in, as I've said many, many times. So for the New York Times, the internment of Japanese Americans and Americans of Japanese descent, forcibly removing them from their homes, taking their private property away, was an adventure, a pioneering adventure. And the, the article is accompanied by, and I'm looking at it right now, a photo showing smiling Japanese boarding the train. Because the New York Times was a mouthpiece for Franklin Roosevelt. And much of the rest of the media were too. And this is what happens when you have an ideologically driven one-party media. You have tyranny. Tyranny. And that's pretty much what we have today. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, that wasn't the only uh, immigration issue where uh, Franklin Roosevelt was on the wrong side in a significant way. Ever hear the voyage of the St. Louis? You guys ever heard of the voyage of the St. Louis? In May 1939, the German liner St. Louis sailed from Hamburg, Germany to Havana, Cuba. And it was carrying 937 passengers. All but a few were, were Jews escaping, you know, the Third Reich. So the Cuban government refused to allow the ship to port there. And the United States and Canada were unwilling to admit the passengers, too. That is FDR. They could see the lights on the shoreline of the United States. And they waited. On May 13, 1939, the German transatlantic liner St. Louis sailed from Hamburg, Germany, for Havana. At the time the St. Louis sailed, there were signs that political conditions in Cuba might keep the passengers from landing there. The U.S. State Department in Washington, the U.S. Consulate in Havana, some Jewish organizations and refugee agencies were all aware of the situation. The passengers were not informed. Most were ultimately compelled to return to Europe. Now, Kristallnacht had already taken place. And so they arrived in Havana. Cuban government admitted 28 passengers. 22 of them were Jewish, had valid U.S. visas. The remaining six, four Spanish and so forth. They also had valid documents. The rest, no. The rest, no. So they sought refuge. They sailed so close to Florida they could see the lights of Miami. Some of the passengers directly cabled President Franklin Roosevelt, which you could do at that time, asking for refuge. Roosevelt never responded. 
The State Department and the White House had decided not to take extraordinary measures to permit the refugees to enter the United States. This was life or death. The State Department telegram sent to the pass- a passenger stated that the passengers must await their turns on the waiting list, qualify for and obtain immigration visas before they may be admitted into the United States. Well, of course, they couldn't. They were stuck on the ship. And there were other obstacles thrown in their way, intentionally. So they left. Following the U.S. government's refusal to permit the passengers to leave the ship, St. Louis sailed back to Europe on June 6, 1939. Well, Great Britain took 288 passengers, Netherlands admitted 181, Belgium took 214, 244 were temporarily in France. Just over half, 278 survived the Holocaust, 254 were murdered, 84 who had been in Belgium, 84 who had been in Holland, and 86 who had been admitted to France. They all wound up in concentration camps and were exterminated. They weren't escaping poverty. They weren't even looking for a better life. They were looking to live. That's Roosevelt. Japanese Americans, Jewish refugees escaping the Third Reich. Why am I bringing this up again? He's the Democrat hero. What has Trump done to deserve the vile attacks that this man receives from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed at night? Wants to secure the border? Wants to secure the border? These are real refugees who seek asylum. Not people who are poor, who want better jobs, and so forth and so on. If that were the case, we'd have 5 billion people on the border. We'd cease to be America. I'll be right back. We never shut down, because this show is essential. Call into the Mark Levin Show at 877-381-3811. That we be. We don't rely on the government either. So we don't have to worry about stuff like that. We're part of the market system. Either I have an audience that cares and wants to listen, or I don't. Then I just go away. Nobody pays me. I don't get back pay. I just go away. And all these liberals trying to shut down conservative talk radio, they don't care about our mortgages and our families, do they? You know what's smart? Kicking off 2019 by planning out which roles your business needs to hire for. You know what else is smart? Starting the new year off strong by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin to hire the right people. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. It's powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience and actively invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. Now, this rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over a 1,000 reviews. 
Right now, you, my listeners, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. Hello, for free at this exclusive web, web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin. That's L-E-V-I-N. If you love this show, I'm going to tell you something. You really ought to check out ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash L-E-V-I-N. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So Chuck Schumer comes out of a meeting with the president, with his other flunky, uh, Nancy Baloney. I mean Pelosi, not Baloney, Nancy Baloney. And uh, they say the president had a temper tantrum. This is another mantra. President had a temper tantrum and he banged a table and left the room. Now, first of all, I must say, Chuck Schumer, when you look at him, he looks like he abuses himself, doesn't he, Mr. Producer? I mean, with the hair and the face and the this and the that, how does this guy get elected to the Senate, let alone be their leader? Temper tantrum? Uh, But in any event, that's not what happened. The Republicans came out and they said what happened. The president came in with candy. You know, he handed it out to them. No razor blades, by the way, just candy and apples and so forth. And he was trying to be, uh, you know, engaged with them. And he says, look, what if I do agree with you and we fund the rest of the government? Will you agree to fund barriers on the wall within 30 days? And Pelosi says, no. So you see, they lied. They said if the president would open the government, then we can talk. But that's what they do. That's what they do. As a matter of fact, when I was on Hannity last night, after the president's speech, um, let's see here. Where do I go, Mr. Producer? 20 seconds? Here's what I said. All right, cut one, go. And I wanted to get your reaction to tonight's well, first of all, the president gave an outstanding speech. It was concise. It was compassionate and truly compassionate. He provided the context, both in terms of what's going on in the border, the expense, which is de minimis, and who's really responsible. Now, let's keep a few things in mind when you watch Schumer and Pelosi. They are pathological liars. They've been in Congress over half a century. What the hell have they done about the border? Nothing. They're part of the scam artists. They get amnesty, legalization, citizenship, and never secure the border. Just spend billions and trillions more, more debt, more deficits on the redistribution of wealth, on $200 billion a year on illegal aliens. One more time, they fooled Reagan, they fooled Bush 41, they fooled Bush 43, but they're not going to fool Donald Trump, who's dealt with tougher than Pelosi and Schumer. And let me point out a few things. These two and the rest of them are never forced to explain their flip-flop. Where they were for border security, they voted to authorize walls, they voted to fund some of the walls, and now all of a sudden it's immoral. You know what's immoral? When everybody talks about those government employees who will be temporarily uh, inconvenienced, who will get their money back, but nobody talks about the unskilled, low-skilled American worker who has to compete with people from Guatemala, from Honduras, from Mexico, from south of the border who come into this country illegally. Nobody talks about the big corporations like Hewlett-Packard and Boeing and Disney and others 
who are part of the scam artist operation, who want illegal aliens in this country. Nobody talks about the fact that destroying our immigration system, these Democrat cities, sanctuary cities, these Democrat states, sanctuary states, where the citizens are treated as second-class citizens, and the taxpayers have to cough up the money for what? Let me explain what this is about. Power. Democrat Party power. Democrat Party before country. There is an excellent piece in, of all places, The Atlantic, a left-wing site, written by a guy by the name of Peter Bonhart, a liberal. And he says, between 2008 and 26, the Democrats became more and more confident that the country's growing Latino population gave the party an electoral edge. So they switched Salon, which is a left-wing site. They declared, after Obama's 2008 win, if that pattern continues with the Latino vote, the GOP is doomed for 40 years of wandering in the desert. And he goes on to explain this. This is a liberal on a liberal site. That is exactly what's going on. Notice Pelosi and Schumer didn't talk about the American worker. Notice they didn't talk about the communities on the border that are suffering. Notice they never talk about law and order because they hate law enforcement. They never talk about the overwhelming costs involved in health care, the overwhelming costs involved in our public schools. Localities and states, they're barely reimbursed for this. Hey, Mark. We, the American taxpayer, the American citizen, we take it in the neck. One other thing. The Democrat platform in 2008. Read it. Let me ask the, you, the Dem- Mark, Hold if on I now. can. The Democrat platform in 2008 Let basically me... supports virtually everything the Republican president of the United States said today. The American people haven't changed. The Republican Party hasn't changed. The Democrats, for political reasons and power reasons, they've changed, and they want to drag us all off the cliff with them. Hey, Mark, that's a great point, and we we played their past statements many times on this program. I know you played it on your radio show in Life, Liberty, and Levin. I want to get into the issue of legality. Let, and me, I know let I saw- me stop here, and I want to thank Sean. I want to go back to Schumer. That's why I set this up. His meeting with Trump today comes out. Cut six. Go. Well, unfortunately, the president just got up and walked out. Uh, he asked uh, Speaker Pelosi, will you agree to my wall? She See, said Schumer's no. a liar. That's not what happened. Kevin McCarthy came out after and said, no, that's not what happened. He specifically said, what if uh, what if we fund your bills, pass your bills, will you agree within 30 days to fund barriers on the southern border? She said no. And then he said, we have nothing left to talk about, and he left. And the Washington Post, because unfortunately their app is stuck on my iPhone, they say, Trump's usual negotiating uh, skills and techniques are not working. So it's Trump's fault. From the Washington Compost. Go ahead. And he just got up and said... Then <clears throat> ah, shut not- up, you idiot. Don't go ahead, as a matter of fact. You damn fool. Nine years ago, you're on the... Hey, we need a wall. Illegal aliens. They can't just come here. All of a sudden. Well, we don't need a wall. Stop calling them illegal aliens. They contribute to society. You're a political ambulance chaser. That's what you are. You're a real, real, uh, real piece of work. Then we have Nancy Pelosi. Now, people have noticed what I've been talking about for years, right, Mr. Producer? She's obviously had multiple facelifts. Her eyes are literally popping out of her head. And she doesn't blink. 
I've never seen anything like it. Well, that's not true. Frogs don't blink. So the, the other, some people don't blink. Cut seven, go. One of the obstacles that we have to an agreement is... Ah, shut stipula- up, you idiot. Another one. <laughs> one of the obstacles... Uh, just shut up. Stempy Hoyer, cut eight, go. This is not a partisan- Shut up. All right, he's done. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. This woman is everywhere. Why? She's dumber than a doorknob. She was well indoctrinated by crazy-ass Marxist professors. She doesn't even know how to answer basic questions. And she's a hero of the media. Absolute concoction. May I say manufactured. Listen to this. Go ahead. The one thing that the president has Ah, not... Shut up, you moron. Sorry, I'm enjoying myself. The one thing the president has... Why do I care what she has to say? Now, let's listen to Representative Catherine Clark. This is pretty hilarious. I mean, this is actually funny. Because you know she's an idiot. Listen to this one. Cut 11, go. The top priority for Democrats is to end this shutdown and put our federal workers back to work with the full pay that they deserve. It's what's fair and it's what's necessary. We're seeing stories coming in about TSA workers who are selling their own plasma to because they are worried about bills. <sighs> selling their own plasma. May I make a suggestion? Rather than do that, get a second job. Maybe go to McDonald's, Walmart, somewhere, anywhere. Why are you selling your own plasma? And I'm sure she won't be fact-checked on that. Can you tell us which TSA worker is selling his or her own plasma? Drew in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the great WPHT, our wonderful affiliate there. You're a government worker. Can you tell me what's going on? Are you selling your own plasma? No, Mark. You got to be kidding me. It's nothing like that. I want to just tell you, Mark. First of all, it's an honor to speak to you. Thank you. Um, I absolutely, you're welcome. I love your program. You know why? Because you're so poignant. You're right on target. You're full of substance. It's absolutely um, a great program. But yes, I'm a proud government worker, and there's many of us that um, support Donald Trump. Um, I'm actually part of this shutdown. Um, I don't have a problem with it. You know why? Because this is common sense legislation. Okay, I actually, you know, um, did a little calculation here. And, and by the way, it will end. It's not going to go on for years. Everybody knows it's going to end. But go right ahead. No, exactly. You're exactly right. And we're going to receive our back pay. You know, that's correct. Um, it's unfortunate. Everybody's in a different situation. Thank, thank God, I'm blessed that I'm not, you know, as you know, inopportune as maybe a single a mother or a parent. It's very difficult. But I actually did a calculation, and my, my calculation is that this $5 million, check this out, is .000125% of our budget, of our national budget. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's absolutely, it's unbelievable. It's incredible that this is going on. But, but it's immoral. You see, giving tax dollars to Planned Parenthood, which harvests babies' organs, that's not immoral. Defending and funding partial birth abortion, which is grotesque and absolutely medically unnecessary, that is not immoral. Now, what's immoral is a wall to protect the American people from people who are coming here illegally who we do not know. 
And so uh, the the part of the government that's responsible for passing the appropriation bills will not pass an appropriation bill that includes funding for barriers. That's the bottom line. Now, the pre- they say the president has shut down the government, right, Drew? That's right. Okay, well, now the president wants to, if he, if he has the power to shut down the government, even though he doesn't have the power to appropriate on his own, he's under Article 2, then I guess he can trigger the National Emergencies Act because Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, the media, the Democrats, goose-stepping behind them and in front of them, they have said that Trump is in charge of the shutdown. Okay, well, then Trump is in charge of the wall, and he's going to build the damn wall. All right. Anything else, my friend? Yes. I, a couple more little points here. As you said, you know, I'm a government worker in Philadelphia, and I want to send this message out very loud and clear. And I want ABC, CNN, MSNBC, all the fake news networks that I'm a government worker and I stand behind our president, Donald Trump. How come they can't find any of you? I, I just, I, I, Mark, it's just everything. Because they're liars. Now. That's why. You're, you're absolutely right, and it, it's all – I can't take it. I'll tell you one other thing, too. I, I worked you know, downtown in Philly, and all day long, okay, it's mandated that CNN has to be on the TV. It's, what? It's, it's absolutely – yes. In our government building, in the government offices where I'm located, I'm not sure about all the other government offices, but they have the TV program set to one network. It's CNN. That's and incredible. You know what I, and I'll tell you what. I, I did <laughs> Mark, if you, I I tell you what, it just I love your passion, I love your drive, you know. It's just it's incredible. Keep up just keep it up. I have to be careful of things I you know, I, I really right, want to say. Listen to me. I want to thank you. I gotta take a break and I want all government employees to know out there I have no animus at all. That I want the government to function, I want the government to work, I want less government, but by God we gotta have a border. Thank you, Drew. We'll be we'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Just texted me and said, every time I'm in a government building in Washington, D.C., CNN is on the screen. You know what? There really ought to be an inventory of this. Because I think CNN, with its contracts with uh, airports all over the country and government buildings and so forth, honest to God, I think that they are able to jack up their ratings. And they have no ratings. So jack up from zero to, you know, like spending on the border wall. Point zero 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 one, But government buildings having CNN on, it's not a news organization. It's a fake organization. Uh, airports having CNN on. Maybe it's time for us to raise objections. We want equality. You know, over the coming weeks, you're going to hear me talk about one of the top issues on the mind of Americans. The price of drugs. Prescriptions, drugs. Numerous economists and organizations like Americans for Tax Reform have studied this. I've studied this. Here are some facts you need to know as we talk about this in the days and weeks ahead. Americans have access to more drugs. I'm talking about legal, over-the-counter and prescription drugs than any other country, including the access to 95% of all cancer treatments that exist in the world. American drug companies produce more than half of the world's wonder drugs because they invest about 
$90 billion every year on research. Now, these amazing drugs allow people with painful, chronic conditions to lead more normal lives. Now, despite this success, Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar, you've seen him all over TV, wants to adopt a Bernie Sanders-style plan for drug pricing that mimics how countries with socialized medicine set pricing and limit patient access to cutting-edge medicines. Their plan will lead to scarcity, fewer choices, worst of all, fewer life-saving breakthroughs. Instead of fighting to lower prices by making other nations pay their fair share, which is what we ought to do, Secretary Azar wants to tell drug companies what they should charge. And he wants to use the Bernie Sanders model. But more than 150 economists and 60 free market organizations and I oppose it because government price controls don't work. Go to TrueHealthCareFacts.com. That's TrueHealthCareFacts.com and get the facts because we're going to fight against this. I've got too many family members that have had to deal with too many types of sicknesses and illnesses where we didn't have cutting-edge, cutting-edge drugs. God knows where they would be. I want to thank all the heroes out there, and I want to thank you, you Levinites, my blessed audience. God bless each and every one of you. How about you join us right here tomorrow? I'll see you tomorrow. God bless you.